Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, so today's guest on The Snapshot is Katie Bassel, who is a Senior Publicity Manager at St. Martin's Press. Katie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Gail. Glad to have you. And very exciting to know that you have some baseball in your career history, which I love because I'm a massive baseball fan. So Katie used to work in corporate sales for my beloved team's rival, the St. Louis (laughs) Cardinals. So we can talk baseball at some point. Um, (laughs) We are recording. I always like to date stamp these shows now because the world is changing so frequently. And, you know, what we say one week is different the next week. I'm finding that with Corona, with respect to so many different things. It looks like as of today, which is June 23rd, it looks like there may be an MLB deal to bring baseball back this summer, which is like the best news I've heard in maybe three months. Yeah, with some empty stadiums, I guess. Yeah, empty stadiums. That's definitely a huge (laughs) bummer. So I guess the corporate sales job would be a big challenge this summer (laughs) trying to... Yeah, you're not getting those eyeballs on the Kiss Cam sponsored by Best Buy. (laughs) What else did we do? We did uh, all the in-stadium giveaways, like the bobbleheads brought to you by Coca-Cola. So yeah, I I guess the job would be very much scaled back. Very scaled back. Yeah, we have lots and lots of Nats paraphernalia in this house that's all got PNC Bank on it and all kinds of different corporate sponsors. So anyway, so we're going to talk today about what it's like to market right now. What's happening to the marketing side of publishing and things like timing of books and, you know, how do you do this without galleys and all of that stuff? So before we get into that, just a couple of updates here on the Readerly Report side. So this is the end of June, and I'm really hoping that Nicole will be back for our next show. So stay tuned for that. And I thank all the people who've tuned in and listened to me do this solo, which I'm sure is not nearly as great as it is when Nicole is here. So I appreciate the guests who I've had on to help me do these shows to tide us over to when Nicole is back. So thank you to Katie for taking some time out of her workday to talk to us about publishing and Corona and quarantine and reading and all of that stuff. So tell me, are you doing a whole lot of reading during this period? Oh, I started off really strong. (laughs) I was reading a lot of pandemic literature. I read The Hot Zone about the Ebola virus. And then I read some backlist classics like Jurassic Park. But recently, I've moved on to some stuff I have to read for work coming up in winter 21. My last read was a book called All Girls, which I guess the closest comp would be Prep, Curtain Curtis Sittenfeld's Prep. I thought All Girls was much, much better. I wasn't actually that big of a fan of prep, but the book, it's a debut by Emily Layden. And she didn't actually go to prep school, but she taught at a few different prep schools in Connecticut. So the book has a really interesting narrative structure. We hear from, I think, 10 or 12 different girls. She doesn't ever return to a narrative voice. You hear from someone different throughout the book. So I was, you know, we hear from Lauren and then and then Macy. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to get back to these girls. And then it just keeps going on. You get someone different. So that was really interesting. I've never encountered a book like that before. Have you? Sounds great. 
<laughs> no, that sounds really yeah. good. I yeah, like she, that. I like the setting. I like everything about what you just described. <laughs> I, she creates all these really wonderful little personal histories for all the girls. And she just gets everything right. You know how so often you're reading a book and you've got it, an older author trying to create dialogue for, you know, 18 year old, 16, 18 year old girls. And you're like, that's not something they would say, but everything that Emily writes, I just felt was very authentic and and true. But yeah, I highly recommend that coming winter 21. Okay. Remind us of the author again, Emily Layden. It's a debut. Okay. Yeah. All girls is the title. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. Okay. I realized that in some of the last shows, I haven't really been talking much about what I've been reading just because we've kind of gotten right into, you know, the topic at hand. So just a couple of updates from my end. I was part of a blog tour for a book called Tea by the Sea by Donna Haymans. And I finished that last week, which I really liked. It's a book that's set in Jamaica and Brooklyn and follows the story of a woman whose daughter was taken from her when her daughter was born by the father of of her daughter. And it's about her tracking him down over the years and trying to find out what happened to her daughter and, you know, trying to sort of get over that very fundamental loss that happened when she was only 17 years old. So I finished that and I finished a book that has been sitting on my shelf for years. And I don't know what prompted me to pick it up in the middle of like a super depressing pandemic, but it's called (laughs) Home is Burning by Dan Marshall. It is a memoir about a guy whose father is diagnosed with ALS and he has to move home and take care of his father and his mother who has cancer. And he's kind of given up this, his life is just sort of starting in LA. He's in his early twenties. He has a girlfriend and a job and things are great. And then he has to move home to Utah to take care of his dad. And this sounds so weird to say. It's actually a very funny book. It's very crass. There's a lot of cursing. There's a lot of sex in it. It's not a book for people who, you know, don't like that in their writing, but it's extremely poignant and super funny. And I listened to it on audio. It's narrated by the author and it was great. So for some reason that was appealing to me in this <laughs> time of weird pandemic taste. So I read that. And right now I'm listening to All Adults Here by Emma Straub on audio. And I also just picked up the new Brit Bennett, The Vanishing Half. So those I've two seen books. seen that one have everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. <laughs> yes, my book club is reading that. And so that's where I am right now. So I think that probably brings people up to date on what I've been reading. It's all on my blog. If anyone wants to check it out, every day I write the book. And I've got all my reviews there too. Okay, so let's talk about publishing and marketing. It's so exciting to have someone on the other side of my emails here on the show. (laughs) So let's talk about what is it like right now to be in marketing for a large publisher? And how does that work when you don't have all of the usual touch points to reach Mm -hmm. your audience. So tell us how your job has changed and what you're doing. Well, you know, I guess we've had to be a lot more sensitive in our pitching. You know, when the pandemic first really took hold, we were, you know, in our department meetings, like, I don't think we should be pitching right now. We always talk about there's so many cases where someone in the media will screenshot a pitch from a publicist and make fun of it. And we're like, Mm -hmm. we don't want to be that person. So we held off for a bit in our pitching. And then, yeah, we're, we're really sensitive, you know, trying to recognize that a lot of people were not in a place where they can review books, you know, home with kids or on the move, getting out of New York City to a 
parents' home or, you know, whatever that might be. I think you maybe alluded to this a little bit, but yeah, galleys are kind of a thing of the past right now. We've been doing a lot more pitching with NetGalley. We took a pause during the Black Lives Matter protests. It's definitely been challenging, but we're hanging in there. Yeah. (laughs) And then in terms of marketing, more on the marketing side, I think we're finding that backlist titles are still working really well. Books like, for us at least, Macmillan titles like The Silent Patient, American Dirt, The Nightingale. So if they were working well before, they're still working well. And we've been trying to kind of reinvigorate them with fresh advertising momentum. But it's definitely been tougher to break out new books or debut books because a lot of the kind of tricks we have up our sleeves have been limited with the closure of indie bookstores. You know, we're not getting to tour those debut authors. I mean, touring them virtually, yes. But mm-hmm. yeah. there's a lot of really interesting stuff in what you said. So let's break down some of those. First of all, let's talk about physical book production. So you said galleys are on pause. Mm-hmm. galleys are not on pause. Is that because like literally the book printing facilities have less manpower? So you have to focus on finished copies and you just can't do it? Is it a budget thing? Like what is it that makes galleys now so hard to get? Yeah. So it's a combination of all of those things. Our warehouse is operating at a reduced capacity just to limit exposure. And two, you know, like I said, a lot of our reviewers, they moved to different locations. So the addresses that we have for them in our database are effectively out of date. So mm-hmm. a lot of those people we we approached early on and said, how do you prefer to receive books? And, and for the most part, it was, yeah, don't be sending physical copies to our office. We can't receive them there for the time being, get us mm-hmm. the digital galleys. So like you said, too, a big money saving measure because we're, yeah, we're trying to pinch pennies as much as possible right now. So yeah, a combination of all of those things. Got it. I can speak for not necessarily professional book reviewers, like people who review for magazines or, you know, editors of, you know, newspapers, but people like me who are doing this more as a hobby. So book bloggers, bookstagrammers, things like that. I will say that the few galleys or finished copies I've gotten in the mail have been bright spots in my week mm-hmm. to the extent that you want to hear positive responses to getting continuing to get review copies and books like I love it and you know I think one theme I've noticed just from some of the shows I've done and talking to some of the readers that I communicate with and other you know book bloggers and bookstagrammers we are, I think we're all finding that our tastes are really all over the place and you know sometimes a book that for example we would have loved four months ago it might not work for us right now either because mm-hmm. it's too heavy or because it's too light we have no attention span like it's just hard to focus on anything so that aside book reading though is still remains like a great source of escape for me and relaxation and like so the fact that I may not be as productive or as fast or as committed as far as like picking a book and sticking with it, I still love having them around and looking at them and thinking, when can I read this? You know, and learning what people are reading about it. So we readers are all still here and still, re- you know, still reviewing and still 
you know, seeking new stuff. But I can see from your perspective, just the logistics of getting that stuff into our hands is really hard. And especially with a lot of the news going on right now. And like you said, you know, two weeks ago, the country was really embroiled in a lot of protests and it was hard. And I, I run communications for a real estate technology company. And we were talking a lot about that. Like, how do you still post your message and try to reach your audience without seeming tone deaf and without Mm -hmm. getting that dread screenshot that you mentioned of someone saying, (laughs) look what I got in the mail or look what this company did and how could they do that? How they're they're so out of touch. What response are you getting from people who are reading your books right now or reviewing them? Are Are they saying the types of things I'm saying, which is, hey, keep it coming. We love hearing it. Or are you kind of getting the Heisman? Like, not now. I think it depends so much on the book. For instance, I'm working on a book by Chris Franz. He's the co-founder of the Talking Heads. He was the Mm, the drummer. And I've been pitching a lot of music freelancers and journalists, and they are all over it. And yeah, keep the pitches coming. Let me know what else you have coming down the pike. So yeah, I think it's dependent on the book. And you know, a lot of our backlist titles by Black authors are working really well right now. There's a renewed appetite for their voices, you know, books like When They Call You a Terrorist by Patrice Cullors. That was a Black Lives Matter um, memoir that we published. She's been doing a lot of press recently. Michael Eric Dyson, we published his book, Tears We Cannot Stop. Again, he's been on the press circuit. So yeah, I think it's just dependent really on if the book ties into the news cycle. I think some of the beachier reads, the escape reads are are also working well. But like you said, some of the darker subject matter has been, I, I guess, uh, there's been less of a response to that. Yeah, kind of like the literary fiction. Depressing yeah, yeah, stuff. right, That's right. Yeah. I read, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My bread and butter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so a couple of other questions. So let's talk about sales. Like how has, I don't, and I don't know how much you feel comfortable or you're allowed to share, but how have sales been affected, obviously, with the closing or at least the limiting, the restrictions on independent bookstores and like bookstores in general, and that people can't just walk into a store, browse and take mm-hmm. what they want. They either have to do curbside and know in advance what they want, or they have to order via mail, or they have to use like Bookshop or Amazon mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Have you seen huge dips in so- your sales? Interesting, or maybe obviously, a lot of books like, I guess a good example is Mary Kay Andrews. She had a book come out in, I'm not, I'm not her publicist, so I might not get all the details right, but it was called Hello Summer. And I think it came out in May, but they saw a huge pre-order spike for her. And so I think maybe that was because one, people, you know, realized I'm not going to get to see her on tour like I normally do. So let me go ahead and pre-order this. Or yeah, they knew they weren't going to be able to go into their local indie and buy it after on sale. So they pre-ordered it. Same thing's happening with an author I do work on, Catherine Center. She's got a Mm -hmm. book coming out in July, What You Wish For. And that one, we've seen huge pre-order numbers too. So I think buying habits are, yeah, definitely being affected, but sales aren't caving, I guess, like we, we thought they would. People are finding mm-hmm. other ways. Like you said, they're using bookshop.org and they're being patient and waiting longer for their books to, to land, right. uh, you know, no more two-day uh, yes. Amazon shipping or wh- whatever. So yeah, we're so thankful to readers for, and uh, yeah, like you said, also supporting bookstores and doing the curbside pickup and... Yeah. Yeah. It's been amazing to see. Are you noticing a palpable shift from print to digital in terms of sales? No, the only thing, well, and I was going to ask you this because you mentioned that you, the the last two books that you read or were books that you've listened to, 
I need to look into this more, but it seems like audio would maybe be the one that was affected because people aren't in their cars commuting to work as much. But I guess we're home now and we can have it going while we're in the house. So um. yeah, I, I think that's right. So I think there's like a complicated thing going on with audio right now. And, and I'm going to lump podcasting into that too. So for me, having a, an audio going is what that's common for me. I always do. So that's nothing new for me to sort of have an ever-present audio. And I don't have, I haven't had a long commute even when I was going to my office. So my audio listening hasn't been terribly affected. I still, you know, put in the earbuds when I walk the dog or clean the house or cook dinner. So I, and actually I'm finding in some ways my audio is going even faster because I am doing those things at home more than I was. Mm -hmm. I wasn't cleaning the house before. And now, you know, for a long stretch of time, I was spending lots of my weekend cleaning and that was a great time to do audio. And so, yeah, I think, I think people are finding ways to get their audio Mm -hmm. in. But I do think that people, I think podcasting has taken a big hit. I've noticed that I, I do this show. I also have a work podcast and I've noticed that my numbers have dipped and I've heard other mm-hmm. podcasters say the same because yeah. of the commute. I mean, without a commute, yeah. that was prime listening time for a lot of people. But yeah, I'd be curious to know how audio has fared during this time, you know, or whether people are just finding different ways to get their audio. Yeah. Yeah. different times to squeeze it in. I have been trying to get myself to read more digital. I'm very traditional when it comes to books. I love reading paper. Me too. And I've gotten, yeah. So for me, having the e-galleys, I have not had trouble procuring them, but mm-hmm. I haven't really read them. They're just sitting on my Kindle. And I don't, mm-hmm. I, I will always default to a print copy over an e-galley. Unless it's a book I'm dying, dying, dying to read. So I think that's been kind of hard to just, you know, that shift has been a little tough. So digital, like I think for people who love to read e-galleys, this is a great time for them because they're just, you know, they're probably not missing a beat. But I'm having a hard time like reorienting towards the the Kindle. It's just not my... A hundred percent. Me too. I, well, I don't even have a Kindle. So most often I'll just read right off of my computer. So read a manuscript in word or PDF on the computer. It's, it's no fun. It's not, it's nothing like my beautiful physical books. Do you ever print them out? So that's what one of my, my colleagues suggested doing. She's like, you should just go to FedEx and print them out. But I know, got, I know and you've got pages that aren't even attached to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Bound. yeah I know. Yeah, I get no it. I, yeah. <laughs> nothing like a book. I just, nothing like a, a hardcover book. Yeah. Okay. So authors talk to me about how authors are doing. This must be devastating for them. Yeah. I mean, I have this one oh, sweet, poor author, but yeah, she, um, debut, we were going to send her on a big tour at publication Obviously, that didn't end up happening. She was a June 2 pub. So we transitioned the entire tour to virtual. And in fact, I was on a pre-publication bookseller tour with her. We were in Minneapolis. And that's when things were really shutting down. You know, people weren't... Right before people stopped flying, stopped booking hotel rooms. So we cut that pre-publication tour short. We were supposed to still go on to... Durham and Boston for two more bookseller meet and greets with her and had to cancel those. And then her publication day was on, I guess it was the the day where publishing was standing in solidarity with Black authors and we were trying to mute white voices. So that was her <laughs> launch day. Oh, and you know boy. what? She just took everything in stride. She, she realizes there's just, you know, nothing to be done. And, you know, for a while... 
we were moving publication dates. We were moving a lot of books out of April and May and pushing them into the summer thinking this is back when, you know, people were thinking, oh, the coronavirus is, you know, only going to last a few weeks and then everything's going to go back to normal and we'll be able to tour authors again. No problem. That was before. Yeah, we knew that, no, we're going to be wearing masks for the next yeah. year and social distancing. And so, so yeah, have you put all those- been so great. They've all just... Uh, maybe I'm lucky. Maybe I just have a good gang of authors. <laughs> yeah. Have you started to put those dates back on the calendar for the summer? Just knowing like you got to just move on and you got to get the, just get the dates, get the books launched and keep oh, going. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we moved them from their April and May, they immediately went to July, August. So the books that we moved okay. have, have dates. Yes. Yes. Have got it. Okay. So those, those are sticking. Yeah. Chris um, Brand's the book I talked about, the Talking Heads book. That was another yeah. one that was originally supposed to publish in May because he had a massive tour and we moved to July thinking, oh, we'll be able to tour him in July and no right. more. That's a virtual tour too. What is the point of a book tour? Is it for the benefit of the bookstore? Is it for the benefit of the people who come? I, I love to go to those events, but you know, sometimes I'll go and there are, you know, maybe there's 25 people in the room. Yeah. And so is it, is it like you're hoping to attract kind of influencers who that will then get word of mouth out? Is it? to create content because they're often taped. And so the recordings no, can be used. I think it's more about, I don't want to say branding an author, but just, yeah, really trying to bring an author to new readers. You know, back in the day, one of the reasons we toured authors was because if you had an author event in say Houston, you got an interview in the Houston Chronicle, you were on the local NPR affiliate. And, you know, that doesn't really happen anymore because as we all know, newspapers are struggling. Yeah. Yeah. And book review editors' jobs are getting slashed. But yeah, a lot of, we we really do try and be strategic. We try to match our tour markets with bookstore interests. So a lot of the times the bookstores write to us with event proposals and they say, you know, we want X author. We, we think we can attract this many people, sell this many books. We're going to market this way. We don't just pick our tour cities willy-nilly. It's usually the, mm-hmm. the bookstore interest is there first. Mm, and we feel that they can they can generate an audience. Because yeah, so, so often, I mean, an author doesn't really have a platform and they're reliant on the bookstore to help bring in those new readers and customers. Right. Yeah. How about virtual events? Have those been well attended? I mean, I see that a lot of publishers are doing them. I, yeah. I, my local bookstore does them. And actually, my, my bookstore started charging for them, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. I don't yeah. think you can contribute what you want. And I've done that once. I, uh-huh. I sent $5 or $10 or something, and then yeah. I got to watch it. How, how have those been received? So... Again, I think you have to be even more strategic with the virtual events because our author events team reported that, you know, after four or five events, bookstores are seeing pretty steep declines in viewership and sales. And that's, I think that's even true for big names like Grisham and Veronica Roth. So I think it's important to do a couple different things. And one of those things would be to do events on a bunch of different platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Crowdcast, Zoom. And then two, you know, different in-conversation partners or panels or plugging into an existing virtual series. Um, So they're saying that doing more than four events 
for one particular author. Correct. Too correct. Much. Yes. Yeah, yes. You start to, yeah. Yeah. What's also hard too is that you may not be able to log on when it's happening, but they're not always recorded. Right. right. And so, which is not any different from a in real life event where you mm-hmm. have to go to the bookstore. But for some reason, I don't know. With I think we're all home with kids and schedules yeah. and dinner and all. It's just hard sometimes to coordinate. Like, yeah. I need an hour to go sit and watch an author. Right. Event. Right. Whereas you so, make more of a commitment. You put it on your calendar and say, "Oh, I'm going to." Go down the yeah. street to my local indie to see this. That's yeah, yeah. For, I don't know why that seems easier in some way yeah. than it does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I hear you. I assume that your whole company, that Macmillan, is all working from home. Yes. How is that going? So Macmillan was really lucky. I think we had, I guess, a couple years ago now, switched to the G Suite platform. So we all have Gmail and we operate all our meetings via Google Meet. We all have work distributed laptops. So we are all able to bring those home with us. And in my opinion, it's been pretty seamless. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I I have taken on the added role of mail worker because I had a lot of galleys shipped to my house and now I'll print out the label and take it down to the UPS store. So I think Wow. Okay. So you have to, maybe I need a raise. (laughs) Yeah, really. (laughs) You've got to deal with all the logistics of that type of thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we can still utilize our warehouse, but you know, we're, we're told to kind of take it easy on them. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So you're doing all the like packing up of stuff at home. Have they talked at all about bringing you guys back to the office or is that not even on the calendar yet? Oh no, they've been great about communicating. I keep seeing our communications team is just been so stellar throughout all of this, checking in with us with surveys. And yeah, so I think the date is post Labor Day. So September, and I think we would be going in in waves and still working quite a bit from home. Yeah, got it. Well, if coronavirus has done anything, it's proven that at least certainly for my company that we can basically not miss a beat, you know, being remote. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of collaboration and a lot of technology supporting collaboration that's making engine of the economy keep going. Mm-hmm. It's pretty Yeah, it really is. All right. My last question is, I guess we covered this a little bit already, but from your perspective, reader taste and genres. So you mentioned earlier that certainly Black voices, there's been a lot of interest in that. Yeah. And also beach reads because I think people are going mm-hmm. to the beach and people yeah. need to escape from a sort of a relentlessly negative news cycle. Mm-hmm. Is there any other changes, other other changes you've seen that sort of are affecting you guys as in terms of what you're publishing mm-hmm. or, or what you're acquiring? Well, yeah. So initially we saw a big spike in preschool workbook type books. I know I ordered a few for my four-year-old son. I think we also saw a spike in pandemic literature, but in terms of what we're acquiring, well, we're launching books for summer 21 now. Or, yeah, summer, spring, summer 21 right now. The editors launched them yesterday and this week. So what I'm trying to say is a lot of what we're publishing this summer is already you know, in the hopper. And I think we will see a big increase in diverse voices and Black voices. We've done quite a bit of reckoning. As I, I, I do think there is systemic racism in, in publishing. We've got white gatekeepers in terms of the agents. So I think we've got a lot of, a lot of work to do there. And then I think that starts with publishing yeah, more Black voices, more Latinx voices. Yeah. Well, in so many aspects of our lives and our economy and 
so many different dimensions of life that really need to change. Yeah. So yeah. Hopefully that's one good thing that's come out of this summer. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask you before we wind down, because we've actually already been talking for quite a while now, I'm going to ask you the questions that are kind of the readerly report staple. Uh-huh. So, and you are allowed to just talk about books from your own imprint. <laughs> <laughs> Given your job, I would probably be surprised if you didn't. So tell us about, first of all, is there an author, either one you've worked with or one you haven't, whose books you've read all of? Haven't worked with? Oh, I'm so cliche. Uh, Gillian, Gillian Flynn. I've read all okay. hers. <laughs> worked with? Oh yeah, tons. Sally Hepworth, who I adore. I've read all of her books. Her most recent was The Mother-in-Law, which I thought was fabulous. I don't think... Did Gail, did, were you not crazy about it? You sent me that one. I liked it. I liked that one. It had some interesting <laughs> books to it and it had a great cover. No, it, it had did. some good twists to it. And it was a little bit of a genre crosser. I, th- I thought that was an interesting book. I liked it. Yeah. Greer Hendricks and Sarah Pekinen. I represent them. They wrote The Wife Between Us. I've read all of theirs. Do you have a favorite wow. of those? Oh, of course. The Wife Between Us. The Wife Between Us, I thought was superb. I've never encountered a twist like that in a book before. I thought that was a yeah. groundbreaking twist. That's a great book. I still have this image. Is there a scene in that book that takes place in an empty classroom? Is it, uh, isn't one of the characters a teacher? Yeah. Or yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Yep. And there's some scene, she's in a classroom. It's like, there's no students there, but someone's following her. Yes. I have that in my mind. That's a great book. Yeah. It's a great book. Um, Sarah Packenden lives really near me. She's I know. Friend. Yeah. She's a Chevy yeah. Chaser. Yeah. Yeah. She lives really close to me. What's a book that everyone other than you has read, but that you never read? Oh God, tons. Sadly, one at my own imprint, The Nightingale. I've not read The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna. I haven't read it. Everyone else in my department has read it. It's been on the bestseller list for years. I got to get, I got to get to it. <laughs> okay. What's a book, and you do not have to pick one from your own imprint for this one. What's a book that everyone other than you liked, but you did not like? Oh, this is such an easy question for me. Woman in the Window. Oh, yeah. I was not crazy about that. I I still, to this day, do not understand the fascination with that book. I thought it was too long. I saw the twist coming. I don't know. I just thought there's so many other thrillers that were deserving of that top spot on the bestsellers list. Yeah. You know what? I can't even remember what the twist was and don't say it because I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but I can't even remember. There was was more, there was a a more subtle one, I guess, in the middle of the book. And then the big, the big one at the end. Okay. Yeah. Sort of vaguely remember it. I, what I remember more about that book was this big controversy. Yeah. Oh my God. The article that came out. Yeah. Talking about him. So which one book are you promoting the most this summer? Or would you like to use this opportunity to promote? Oh, yes. Okay. So I'm working on this book called Good Morning Monster. It's by a psychologist, Catherine Gildener. And I'm calling it, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone Meets Three Women. And in it, she recounts what she calls the heroic journeys of five of her most memorable patients from her 25-year career as a clinical therapist. So in the book we meet, let's see, there's Laura, who at the age of nine was abandoned in the woods by her father and Mm -hmm. left to care for her two younger siblings in an isolated cottage. And she manages to do it for like seven months without anyone suspecting a thing. There's Peter, who's formative years were spent locked in the attic of his mother's Chinese restaurant with nothing but this small toy piano to comfort him. And he goes on to be a very gifted musician. There's Alana, who is a 
certified genius with a truly psychopathic father. He was a member of the Ted Bundy fan club, I remember. And then there's Madeline, and that's where the title of the book comes from. So Madeline's mother was very glamorous, but incredibly narcissistic and negligent. And she greeted Madeline every morning with good morning, monster. And I'm telling you, it is one of the best books I've read in years. It's, it's. Wow. Okay. When does this come out? That one is, oh, I should know the date, September 22nd. Oh my God. That sounds amazing. Oh, it's so good, Gail. I'm going to hit you up for that book. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, that's all the questions I had for you and we've been on for a while, so I will let you get back to your work day. But thank you so much for taking the time to share a different perspective, not the reader perspective, but the publishing side. Yeah. Good luck with, you know, so many challenges that, that I'm sure you're facing. And so, you know, you're doing a great job and, and keep it all up. Thank you. My pleasure. And go get that little boy that's been peeking in. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm so lucky. I've got mine went, I think think I mentioned to you, mine went back to daycare. So I'm free for a little bit. Oh, that's so great. He's been like, I signed him up for a couple weeks of virtual camp, which Uh he wasn't thrilled about because he's just sitting in the other room on his computer. But they have this cool little robotics thing that he's doing. So within about 15 minutes yesterday, his his attitude shifted to the positive. So I don't know if he's on a break or what he needs, but I'll go check on him. All right. Well, thank you. Um, Can you tell our listeners where, is there someplace they can find you online? Do you have um, Bookstagram or someplace they can follow you or find you? I'm on Twitter at Katie Basil. I do a lot of political retweeting and I am on Instagram too. I'm at Katie Basil, but it's mostly spam of my son, Sam. (laughs) All right. I'll link to that stuff and (laughs) thank you and have a great rest of your summer. Thanks. You too. Thanks. (laughs) Bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. Thanks.